Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Adam Sanctum Podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Surrounded by the jumpers. The fates, the gods are with the dogs. For another week, I'm embarrassed to say I was laughing so hard at that I just dribbled on the panel here at the ABC. So if there is a query in Senate estimates about how this got broken, laughing at my own joke. I'm Emma Race. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Nicole Hayes. And I'm Felicity Race. And we are down one Alicia sometimes this week. She has been out for days with a migraine and we just send her all our very biggest loves and hugs because that is a terrible place to be. But she has sent us a telegram um, (laughs) of sorts in a way that only Alicia sometimes can and Nicole Hayes. You're going to take it away. I've got the honours. My week without AFL by Alicia Sometimes. I bathed a lot. From Sydney's Friday night Perler in Brisbane until North Sunday dominance over Frio, I was bathing. With long books, rubber ducks and non-team coloured candles. Round 10 was how many times I went back for chocolate. When 6,031 security guards were protecting Geelong, I think I was on the floor playing Adventure Time Monopoly. When Collingwood inched its way into the eight, I was in bed by eight. When Eddie Betts signed autographs for all of Australia, I signed for the pizza delivery. While Essendon were turning a corner, I was walking down the street to the milk bar for some popcorn. When poor Asava Radagalea suffered through a double leg break, my cake was sinking in the oven. When I'd finished rearranging Lego starships in order of deathliness, I turned on the radio and heard that there were only three teams that could win the flag, West Coast, Richmond and Melbourne. With my whole year sorted, I went straight back to bed. I played my bass. <laughs> Sorry. I was drawing, writing, <laughs> making paper planes. I washed the car, climbed a tree and watched an old episode of Quantum Leap. It was a slow three days devoid of any one week at a time. Now that I've surfaced, there's only one thing on my mind. I need to know with every fibre of my weekend off, did Hawthorne win? Who wants to tell her? Gee, <laughs> <laughs> she gets shit done. Not she, I know. I mean, when she's not feeling well too. I know. That's, that's exactly it. She also effort. reminded me a little bit of one of my favourite books, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And on Saturday she ate through <laughs> yeah, some pizza, chocolate, some chocolate, pizza, popcorn. some popcorn and a cake that she was baking in the oven. And now I just want popcorn. What have you done to me? <laughs> to be honest, playing Monopoly with kids gives me a migraine. Oh, playing Monopoly full stop. Oh, is, it's the worst, isn't it? It just never, never ends. I can think of nothing worse. One thing that caught my eye in that poem was also something that on the weekend broke my heart, which was Asava Radagalia getting his mm. – um, it was an ankle break. It looked really bad. It was I thought it was fib. Uh, yeah, there you go. Ooh. Thank you, Dr. Google. Dr. Paging, Google. Paging Dr. Google. <laughs> Dr. Google. Paging Dr. Google. So Stat. it was bad. And um, I just thought he was having such a great season and – just for you know, he's a great bloke. He's he all up and about. I hate saying great bloke. I don't know him, but you know, he seems like a great guy. He's entertaining to watch. That's he's for sure. Fun to watch, exactly. So, all the very best um, to you. But we put it out on Facebook and um, Twitter and Insta about you know 
querying what court your eye, the people who listen to this show, the sanctimers as we like to call you all. Lucy? I think overwhelmingly it was reflected in Alicia's poem, it is all aboard the demon train. Mm. <laughs> so according to Carolyn, Nicole, Veronica and Miffy, just to name a few, um, the it's time to book tickets, start sleeping out. Um, my question is, is the lid off? Or are people trying to push it down firmly? I actually think we need a GPS locator to find that lid. Mm. Just when we listen to to um, the way that people are talking about it. Yeah. The um, apparently so the according to Joshua Kay, the most consecutive quarters won in VFL AFL history is twenty one by the Cats in two thousand and ten. Melbourne are at 18 and counting. Sorry, in 2018. The other thing that got a lot of love um, was Eddie Betts, who spent Mm. so much time with the crowd after what was a really awful loss. No selfie was left untaken. He's still there. No selfie was unselfied. He's still there signing away. It was amazing. It was an extraordinary like, vision to, to watch the, the match and to see the crowd, you know, that sellout. Um, it just shows you how much football means to to smaller communities as well where, you know, you can't always get thirty, forty thousand 40,000 people to a game but you can get – what does that ground hold? You know, 10, 12,000 or something like that. I'm probably wrong and someone will correct me. But to see – a ground absolutely overflowing with people just joyous at football. Um, such a shame for Adelaide. Um, mm, not a great know. game to watch in the end, was it? No. You know, obviously, if they had wheels, they fell off um, mm. big time. Um, you don't want to hear that when you've flown in either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not when you're coming into land. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, just back on, we had some other correspondents on Instagram. I had this hilarious exchange with some D's supporters because I posted a picture of Noosa and I said, are you cancelling your September, October <laughs> trips, Melbourne? or are you?" And I know that I've been told off before about pitching this at Melbourne people about how they go to the snow and they go to Noosa. But it was confirmed by a lot of my about a lot of my friends on Insta who were chatting to me. But I did get one great um, message from SLW13. I don't know who that is. And, it's a bot. Um, it's not a bot because she <laughs> said, joking. go D's and shush, hashtag not all D's. And I said, it's true. The working class D's fans are a forgotten faceless um, supporter crew. Mm. And she said, yes, we are. Champagne and caviar are on order. Weekly payments set up. And I said, oh. it's actually genius. <laughs> I love it. It's like one of those Christmas clubs. It you is. Know, you get, yeah, it's a Costco, sign up your... caviar and champagne. <laughs> <laughs> sign up now. Yeah, hmm. I like it. Yeah, there you go. I'm slightly nervous for Dee's fans. Like I think they're playing well, but oh. I just am saying, you know, keep, keep a lid on it is my view. Mm. I wanted to just have a little bit of a return of commentary watch, mm. if I could. Mm. Um, last week, I you might remember um, that I expressed a bit of concern about the fact that commentators were telling us that some teams seemingly didn't turn up to play. Mm. And I pointed out that there was a rule against that that the AFL seemed not to be enforcing. So I'm really pleased to report that over the weekend, there were several games where we were told both sides have come to play. Great. So that Good. was a Thank real... A real relief for me to see football the... or monopoly. <laughs> um, it was, it's a real relief to see the forfeit rule not have to be invoked. But I'm concerned about some other things, particularly some cheating going on. And Felicity, you and I spoke a little bit about this. We exchanged some messages we about did. this we were over both the weekend, weren't we? <laughs> um, mm. There were a number of occasions where we heard that a player had gotten the ball and then put his skates on, which, to me, I think. I would assume that using external supports to enhance one's speed is against the rules. I certainly can't find anything about it in the rules. And, Especially with wheels, I think. And, and you mentioned, you noted something similar. Um, 
It was around the idea of he's got his wheels on. Yes. Yeah. Is that yeah. when the wheels yeah. fall off? Well, this mm. is what I'm wondering. those players that put them on in the yeah. first place. No, you've got to have. keep – I think you've got to um, keep the grass very short, like, for it to be an advantage because <laughs> – True. Yeah, wheels on long grass isn't going to work. Yeah, actually, it's kind of like, you know, AFL on wheels. It's like Disney on ice. And then you can also have that normal Disney that's not on ice. Or so the Marvel maybe Stadium. Have, yeah. So maybe, that's, have, maybe that's what they should have next year instead of AFLX. On AFL wheels. on wheels. But oh, I, look, I, am, that. I am being pedantic here. So no. I know, I, yes, I know it's are. unfair. And I actually must say, I really love the unique commentary in, in our game, even if it sometimes does perplex me. And it did perplex me on the weekend because there were a number of occasions where we heard that one team hugged the boundary. Um, and I I tried several times. I paused and rewound and I zoomed in on the play. I couldn't actually see any players embracing no, the no boundary. Hugging. No hugging, hugging of the boundary. You are always I banging said, on about men being emotional and wanting to see I'd more out <laughs> of emotion. So don't go the raw would, prawn with me about people <laughs> hugging the boundary. I want to see people hugging the boundary. I just They were telling me it was there and I couldn't see any hugging. I was looking oh. for people <laughs> embracing on the boundary, people embracing the white line, none of it. Was... I reckon I've been at games when Lucy's hugged everything but the boundary. <laughs> you know those moments of utter excitement when you're hugging strangers. Random strangers. Mm. I like yeah. to connect with people. <laughs> <laughs> there yes, were some troublesome do. foots, by the way. Did we? Oh, that's yeah. BT was quoting me and I just liked it. I'd like that noted that mm. he we actually did quoted me. And the foot was troublesome, both of them, both mm. foots. And I heard Gary Lyon this week um, on his radio show on SEN do a commentary watch. So it's taking off. Mainstream. Well, we I, should have trademarked that when we had our chance. Well, I noticed on Foots, um, the the Foots issue, Nicole, which I I know you talked about last week as well, is that one of the players couldn't trust his right foot. Oh, and I felt that was worth some further discussion as well. That would be the troublesome one. That, I, it yeah. must be. I always thought I didn't trust the left as much as the right. Anyway, I'm so damaged by all this talk that when Kate said before about the forefoot rule, I was thinking, oh God, someone's got four feet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's enough silliness. Let's get in and melee because there's been some big topics this weekend. The thing that caught my eye was the brawling. Um, it's just, I can't believe that it's happened a couple of weeks in a row. Um, and the thing that shocked me was this suggestion that people are brawling because this game's not high scoring enough. Did you see that yeah. suggestion? I thought yeah. it was um, just appalling. It's got nothing to do with what's happening with the game. It's got to do with um, people behaving badly. And I've got to say, if I saw that up close, like seeing it on the vision it was bad enough. But if I was at the game with my kids, like you said last week, Felicity, that your son Toby was quite a distance away from it, but it was really shocking to him. I don't think I'd ever get my kids back at the footy. I don't know that I would go back mm. to the footy. And I went with trepidation to the Dockland Stadium this week to watch a game and I thought, oh, I've never felt mm. like this before. Mm. It's such a perplexing thing because I, I, it's very, very difficult to understand what motivates people to do that when you've gone, like I've gone 48 years and I've never hit anybody mm. in anger. Mm. and Or out of boredom. Apparently that's a, or a motivating factor nowadays. It's, mm. a, it's interesting to look at the way that it's been reported and I know – as you guys know, I'm a soccer fan and there's often a real discourse around anything that happens at an A-League game and there's a real difference, I think, in the way that it's talked about with AFL. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. And I, especially when you think about, I mean, I actually had someone say to me that this was an ethnic problem. 
that oh, about one in, that we even use that word in anymore soccer apparently or in the in soccer and that it's different in the AFL and then I think well what about the the English Premier League like there are there have been issues around sport it has nothing mm. to do with with those um those issues and I can't the idea that you have adult men and that's who have been the perpetrators for the most part who get bored and decide to punch someone I mean they it's like they're toddlers they're obviously adult men are not you know toddlers and but, that they can control themselves yeah but also if if that's what happens when you're intoxicated and frustrated, then what limits that to the football? Yeah. You know, what, what's of going on in the rest of people's lives that that's the behaviour that comes out? Well, what's interesting to me is that all of the discourse around it seems to share something in common. There's, there's an attempt to find... Um, a kind of cause or an explanation for this behaviour. So for some people it's that the football's too boring or low scoring. Others have said that it's something about one's ethnicity. Others have claimed that it's produced or driven by alcohol. All of those discourses share a kind of reluctance, I think, Mm -hmm. to um, to kind of – what's the word I'm looking for? To implore people to own it, to take (laughs) responsibility for their own behaviour. There's an attempt to say it's caused by this or it's caused by that. It's caused by something else. And the you know the the reality is that these are, as you say, Nicole, grown people. Um, often, I think men making deliberate, concerted choices to engage in violent behaviour, and people need to take responsibility for that. Mm. What role do you think the AFL and the stadiums have in trying to, you know, deal with it? They're talking about lifetime bans. Yeah. That's one of the mm. things that's How up. do you feel about that? Because I'm all for it. I mm. find, Yeah, I'm all for it, mm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I found What I found extraordinary about the footage that I saw of the one on the weekend was that you can have 455,000 security guards protecting the grass mm. on a, at a, the end of a game and there was one security – I saw one security guard yeah. in that bar at that time. Yeah. Th- that's not nearly enough support and, and, and she the, was really struggling to um, maintain mm, you know there were so many order. physical bodies and I thought that's a real it's a it's a really weird balance yeah you and, know? and the police have come out this week and said you will you know you'll see a visible difference in the next coming weeks mm, yeah. um, which is the a number shame. of people there but <laughs> the other the other part that I always find interesting in the reporting is there's almost a glee when something happens mm. in a um, a members section. Mm. Um, you know, this it's like the way they report any incident that goes on at a private school. Um, mm, you know, th- there's this glee in the media mm-hmm. going, you know, oh, and in the exclusive, you know, this club, it, it, that club's not exclusive. You know, the the majority of people who go there are probably guests of companies. Um, they're not paying the memberships themselves. You know, mm. it, it's not a it's not a huge long waiting list birthright type environment. It's just come along. And we've spoken to people there before when we've been at events um, who, who people who've worked there and at other stadiums who talk about in those environments when people are invited along as guests, um, how challenging that is for staff. Mm. Um, mm. You know, the liquor licensing doesn't yeah. always extend to, um, you know, if you've got for example, the, I'm going to go with a specific example. The lady that we spoke to who worked in a corporate box, um, she's the one person in that area in charge of that group of people in that room. Um, the relief on her face the day we were there, and mm. she said, you only need one woman in the crowd and it's better behaved. Yeah. Um, you know, you have whole groups of people there for, you know, they're guests there for free alcohol and a great time and 
one person in there who's meant to manage that. Mm. Um, it, it's just not set up right. It's, I, I don't mm. think it's safe for the staff because if you start denying drinks to those people who are there as guests, then, you know, that comes back on them as well. Um, I was at an, um, a VFLW game on the weekend and the, it wasn't huge. It was a fairly decent crowd there. But um, And I noticed that they were selling full-strength beer in cans um, over the trestle table and people were drinking and there was no big deal, right? Mm. And mm. that, were the scores like significantly higher yeah. to maintain yeah. interest yeah. so no. that people didn't have but fights? what I got to was if you're at an AFL-M game and if you're at a – I'm pretty sure if you're at VFL, I don't know that you can drink in the outer at VFL games. Can you drink beer, full-strength beer in cans at a VFL game? I don't think you can. I don't, do you, know. I don't do you, know. Are you with me on that? I think I there's a law know. against that. That's really that. interesting. I'd like to find out the answer. I reckon someone's going to be able to text us. Mm. I don't think – I think there's an alcohol ban um, at um, – at amateur at amateurs games and at um, you know I think in that in those men's leagues I'm pretty sure you can't drink full strength beer in cans in the outer, but that I noticed at AFLW as well you can buy cans of beer and there's never any issue and I'm like isn't that fascinating that is a gendered issue mm. yeah no question am I allowed to say that I think we can safely gonna... say given that most of the perpetrators have been men so far well there's there's been some I'd talk... say a hundred percent actually approximately approximately hundred percent there's been some talk that the AFL are looking at this issue this week so it'd be really interesting mm. to see what they come out with but I think you know we know that the AFL we know that football clubs we know that football can use their voices to elevate lots of issues and I, I think it's time to see something really, really strong from them. I know that when you can identify a perpetrator um, is a member of a particular club that clubs can do bans but it's there's an interesting sort of um, little loophole that if you're not a member of a club, what does that mean? But I think, you know, it just needs to be really, really strong. For anyone who follows us on our social, you would have seen that on our socials, I should say, um, that we were posting some um, links to a Malcolm Gladwell revisionist history podcast this week that was called The Burden of Proof. And I had this moment, I was listening to it, and I'm not going to give it away because we kind of have to talk about the topic at hand, but he sets up this story and he's talking about when you have evidence and what you know is going to be unhealthy for the population um, going forward and he's talking about um, coal miners and how there was information that we knew about that was demonstrating and pointing to the fact that it was unhealthy for coal miners' lungs to be, you know, down and inhaling that kind of fine dust particles. We knew about this for almost a century before we did anything about it and people were dying as a result of it. And then uh, like 11 minutes into the podcast, he says, we've got one of those moments happening now and it's about CTE and it's about brain injuries caused by football and other, um, you know, head injuries that um, are acquired Mm. during sport. What then is rolled out is a really personal story of one player and I actually feel like I can't look at NFL and AFL the same ever again Lucy? Mm, I Yeah, I listened to it and had a very similar reaction and so did a lot of the people that were interacting with us on Facebook and Instagram and um, Twitter about this as well. Um, just to, if you haven't heard of CTE, so CTE is a little bit different to concussion. It's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. 
Um, and in CTE, what happens is as a result of repetitive um, knocks to the head, and it can be at a subconcussive level, level, so it doesn't need to be something that's caused concussion, but that repetitive um, blow to the head causes a protein called tau to form, and that protein slowly spreads through the brain tissue, and it causes a whole raft of symptoms across cognitive, um, behavioural and mood areas, namely things like depression, inability to concentrate, inability to focus. Um, One of the things that's really tricky with CTE is that it can mostly really only be diagnosed after somebody has died and there's been an autopsy. What it raises a question of, I think, is what does this mean for sport? Um, In Australia, and, you know, I, I... tried to sort of extrapolate, well, what's happening in American football and what does it mean for Australian rules football? In Australia, we've so far only had, as far as I can tell, one confirmed case of CTE, and that was in a um, rugby player called Barry Taylor. And I was interested to see that in March, um, Australia launched the first sports brain bank. So far, six athletes have pledged to donate their brain to the brain bank, um, including Sam Blees and Daniel Chick, who we know have had issues with concussion. So where does it leave us? Like we know that concussion is an issue in sport. Um, what do we think? How do you how do you take that on board? Well, it's it's interesting. Um, it's a fascinating podcast and um, really challenging and does raise some interesting questions. But I was just actually just left with a set, a set of questions more than anything. It seems to me that the point that Malcolm Gladwell, the the host of that podcast, seems to get to is that he thinks. NFL should probably be banned, at least that people should be boycotting it. But I think, you know, he he seems pretty opposed to to NFL. Um, And to me, I think uh, there were a series of leaps in logic that I didn't quite, that didn't quite feel right to me. Um, And at the risk of being a bit controversial, I sort of wanted to raise some other questions, none of which I have answers to. But, you know, the thing is that as a society, we don't ban everything that's dangerous. We choose to ban some things and we choose not to ban others. We choose to regulate them. And um, I guess, you know, the questions that Malcolm Gladwell leaves us with is, do we ban sports or certain kinds of sports if they have this proven link? Or do we need to wait for the link to be proven before we take drastic steps. But also what he doesn't talk about is whether other kinds of measures might be possible um, that don't involve going that far. So, you know, I was thinking about regulation and how it works. We we banned asbestos in this country at least. It's not banned everywhere in the world, but asbestos is um, an example of something we've banned. We, we don't ban smoking. We regulate it very heavily. We don't ban cars. We set limits, speed limits, and we require people to wear seatbelts, and we don't let people consume alcohol and drive because we realise that there's a kind of complex formulation of factors that might um, you know, result in, a, in higher risk. Um, but the other really crucial thing is that we inform people of the relative dangers and um, the nature of risks. And I think the, the the most important thing for me after listening to that podcast is that athletes have a right to know what the risks are first and foremost and as soon as possible. And the problem with CTE is that we don't really know what the risks are. You know, I was reading this morning that um, not just rugby, as you mentioned, Lucy, um, but also 
a, a hockey player or, or a few hockey players in the United States have now been proven to have CTE and other sports, soccer as well. Um, so I think for me that the, the key point is that athletes have a right to know what the risks are and they have a right to health, which we've talked about a bit before on this show, um, but they might also have a right to play. And mm. that's kind of the point that I got to um, in spite of the risks if they're proven. And so, you know, we do, as I said, we do permit people to engage in all kinds of dangerous activities like skydiving and bungee jumping and Formula One. And so I just want to share two very quick stories on that right to play if I can just to leave you with them because I think they're worth thinking about. The first is that I was talking to a colleague yesterday who has a another colleague in the United States and they're an African-American um, colleague and, and she said to him, would you let your son play NFL given what we now think we might know about CTE? And he said, absolutely, because for, for us, for many of us, it's our way out of the ghetto. And mm. so, you know, Despite the fact that it might be dangerous, the kind of upsides for me and my community are, are big. Um, but the other story is come. it actually comes from Malcolm Gladwell's website. I had a look at his website and he's got posted up on his website underneath the podcast a link to a kind of rejoinder or a statement that was made by a friend of the student you mentioned Um who was very unhappy about Malcolm Gladwell's treatment. And Malcolm Gladwell doesn't mention this at all in the podcast, um, but it's a piece written by a guy called Justin Williams who was friends with the, the guy who had CTE. And he says, as athletes, he writes, we are crystal clear on the dangers that are inherent in our decision to participate in sports that we are passionate about. We complete numerous required forms and documents that signify our agreement to maintain all liability for negative outcomes that may occur at any time during competition and practice. Otherwise, we have the decision to simply quit. It was appalling to hear Gladwell specifically claim that it is a huge disadvantage for our university to maintain a football program. And then he says, football has been a passion of mine I've pursued from a young age. It has honestly given me the opportunity to come to this university and enjoy all of the benefits this amazing place has to offer. It's helped shaped me. And although I'm definitely not perfect, I'm a better person because of it. So I think that's really, it's complicated. People may want to play despite the risks. It is complicated. The other thing um, that I can throw in there to complicate the conversation, especially in AFL terms, is that we have heard on numerous occasions that helmets in AFL don't actually help concussion. Um, just to be a complete conspiracy theorist, if there was to be a finding that demonstrated that helmets did work, even to minimise concussion or um, brain harm with 5% or 2% or even 1%, then every insurer in the country would have the right to say, well, we've got the evidence that proves that helmets work. You didn't wear a helmet, therefore the policy under which you played will not support or cover you should you have any ongoing issues. So at, we've also got to look at all of the other implications. Yeah, there is. And um, I think that rule changes have happened. I think one of the biggest things that's happened in AFL specifically is that we don't anymore see those massive um, coward punches behind the ball where there was a generation of football, which is probably the football that we watched playing up, um, when we are growing up, where it was okay or it was encouraged by coaches mm -hmm. to go and take people out with a hit behind the, behind the play, behind their head, 
whatever it was, and a lot of those things will have done damage ongoing. So rule changes are going to help perpetuate changes in the results for these players as well. Yeah, and just for though, because there hasn't, you know, as you say, in, in Australia, there hasn't um, been any established cases or there's only of CTA and the challenge being that you, you it's currently only diagnosable after death. Um, but there has been research in um, La Trobe University um, concussion expert, Dr. Alan Pierce, did look at um, former players uh, in AFL and then later replicated it in NRL and compared them with uh, similar aged um, men who did not play contact sport. And what he did demonstrate or what that research did demonstrate was they were uh, fine movement control and reaction times definitely they performed markedly worse in those situations. So, I mean, this is absolutely a growing, um, a growing area and the more research we do, the better. But I think, yeah, uh, for the time being, that we need to be conservative when it comes to protecting players' heads. One of the other things that some of the people um, who commented on social said about this is that there needs to be a shift in the way we talk about mm. sport mm. and in the way people commentate sport and the idea of bravery, mm. you know, what constitutes courage on there. the field. Mm. And I know myself that, um, you know, you often hear when, you know, people are out there, put your head over the ball. I have a son who plays football and is often on the bottom of a pack. And when he goes out, I say, put, you know, put yourself over the ball. But I have had very explicit conversations with him about, I don't want you to put your head in a situation where it's going to get hit. Mm. And just, you know, real subtle shift in the way that I talk to him about football. And I think that's going to be something that that we need to see a big shift. And the commentators who refer to, you know, when, uh, I mentioned this before, when the, you, a player is running blindly backwards into the a contest without any awareness of what's waiting for him um, to, rec- you know, to, to refer to that as courageous, we need to just stop that. It's on, dangerous. On that, apparently um, there was a hit behind the ball when um, the Melbourne Uni VFLW team played um, against the Ad- the per- Adelaide Thunder, the, sorry, the NT Thunder. NT Thunder on the weekend that saw Emma Carney sidelined with a concussion and it was off the ball and that's something that we don't want to see in VFLW or AFLW coming in either. So um, that's something that the women need to be acutely aware of, um, that there is longer-term issues potentially with hits like that. Um, Kato Halloran wrote an interesting piece. Again, this conversation about coaches in AFLW is a continuing one because we saw Adelaide um, appoint their coach this week, Nicole. Yeah, in The Guardian, her article looked re-examined that um, issue of Beck Goddard leaving uh, in light of not being offered a full-time coaching role. So she was actually offered a full-time role, but the top-up the coaching aspect was part-time and the top-up top up was some sort of administrative role, which was well below her pay grade and her skills, if we're, if we're completely honest. Um, and in the wake of that, then the Crows went ahead and offered Matthew Clark a full-time coaching role um, to replace her as the AFL senior coach, AFLW senior coach. Uh, he was already a ruck coach for the, for the men's competition and so this was able to be expanded um, into a full-time role. And what... Uh, uh, Kate O'Halloran's article does is it goes back and looks at um, how the Goddard and, Ka- and Michelle Cowan from Fremant- Fremantle, how they were treated, the options they were given. What I thought was really, really interesting was um, that, you know, and she identified that this is clearly a gendered situation. 
she she just there's a little quote from it that I just wanted to read. She said the Crows have said they could not find a role for Goddard in their men's coaching department. Yet after leading the Bulldogs to a premiership in his second year at the helm, Paul Groves was offered a new expanded role as line coach for the men's VFL side. Why was that kind of offer extended to Groves and not Goddard? The Crows might say the Bulldogs showed Groves undue favouritism and as such, quote, created a role for him. But traditionally, that's what AFL clubs do to retain perhaps their most valuable commodity, a premiership coach. Um, the AFL has said in response that they are developing a program to help develop female coaches, um, whatever that means. And there's not currently any announcements about what that will look like or any um, that it's even actually started. But, they, you know, and that's an important thing. I think it does recognise the fact that there does need to be quite radical and direct intervention because it's not going to happen naturally. Um, the the thing that O'Halloran says, which I thought is particularly interesting, is that Goddard is an outlier when it comes to gender equity in the sense that her record does withstand the dubious merit test merit based test. Yet most women won't even make it to where Goddard did, nor have the chance to prove themselves in that regard. And we saw a classic example with Daniel Menzel who is, you know, currently um, doing rehab for Geelong and is is working with the Geelong VFLW team in coaching and mentoring young players. And um, I thought it was uh, interesting to see uh, Shiloh Curtis's uh, response saying that she hopes that that's replicated and mm. re- in the reverse so that you see women getting opportunities to work with the um, the VFL and, and AFL men's program as well. Um, I think she was being a bit cheeky, but I... <laughs> I'm I hopeful. suspect she was too. I saw a really cheeky tweet, which I enjoyed because there was a lot of talk about it on Twitter. And to be honest, we all dipped in at one point and you, there was a couple of um, Twitter eggplants who were copying the wrath of the entire, well, five, sixth of the outer sanctum. And there was a really astute tweet because I love it when the netball conversation gets brought up. And one Miss Lucy Ray's tweeted, there is one male coach out of the eight super netball teams. So that's at 12.5% is way above the 0% of female coaches in both AFLW and AFL. And I was like, oh, she's got out the calculator. Um, (laughs) Something that I loved um, this week that I was watching that is from comedy and I just feel like there was this beautiful synergy in watching Tina Fey. She sat down and did one of those, um, my next interview, my next guest with, Mm -hmm. um, you might have seen it, Mm -hmm. on Netflix with Dave Letterman and he was talking to her about the writer's room and how for so long he had a show for 30 years, it had 33 years, it had, you know, maybe populated by about, 40 writers. He never once had a female writer in the room. And Tina Fey was talking about when she took over as head writer for Saturday Night Live and she was the first female to do so. And she said... um as the chemistry in the room became more diverse, and she's talking about having more women in more roles on Saturday Night Live, then the, the material started to play differently because the merit-based system which had been set up in these writers' rooms was that you would all bring your sketches to the table and so there would be 40 writers sitting there with what they wanted to present. And so when one, when one female writer is pitching her sketch which may or may not be about sanitary pads. Um, (laughs) And the response is zero from her audience because she's speaking only to a room full of male writers who don't understand the joke because they don't understand the topic Mm. um, and they don't laugh or then it's put on the no pile because it didn't get any laughs. And so Tina Fey is talking about how when the climate, the climate changed when more women came in the room and 
um, the result in one particular instance was this unbelievably funny um, sketch, which we've put on Facebook and you can check it out. It's about um, massive <laughs> sanitary pads. And, of course, no <laughs> men would laugh at that in a writer's room because they wouldn't understand what was being, you know, what that situation was like. Um, but it went on to be hugely successful. And I really liked that example because I thought it's a really easy one to demonstrate. But when we talk about merit... The things that we're at the moment fighting and pushing against um, with the way that uh, merit-based coaching examples and um, the way people are being um, appointed to coaching roles, and we heard a lot about how Matthew is really, you know, he ticks all the boxes, name me someone more skilled than him. Matthew Clark, you mean, yeah. yeah, Yeah. Name me someone who's got more experience than him, Rebecca Goddard, but (laughs) name me someone else that is a woman. I looked at the Hall of Fame (laughs) dinner last night and I looked at all of the inductees into the AFL Hall of Fame last night and they were all white men. And I thought, this is what it looks like now. These are the people who have set up and set into motion the rules that we play by and the merit with which we're all kind of trying to achieve. But in maybe 30 years... That will look different. Mm-hmm. Maybe Fingers there won't crossed. be maybe mm-hmm. there won't be fifty fifty women and men being inducted into the Hall of Fame. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to check back in with this when I'm eighty years no. old, <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I told you so. I told you this on a podcast. In yeah, isn't it interesting too that as an environment grows, so we talk about the growth of of women's sport, and you'd think that that grows opportunities for everyone. And I think what we're pushing back at is, you know, we're pushing back seeing so many men come into that system and take really good roles in there. Mm -hmm. And yes, if you look at it on, you know, certain measures, you could go, yep, I can understand that. I can understand why he's there and I can understand why he's there. But when you look at it broadly, it's like, oh, you know, here we are growing something and let's just you know, let the same people have the jobs, and we'll all just keep taking steps backwards. The um in the Hollywood space. in in Hollywood um where at the beginning of sort of the years where film and movies um were dominating culture, um all the screenwriters were women, mm-hmm. and uh they were basically secretaries. But because there was silent films and they were scripting every um all of the scripts themselves, it was treated like a secretarial role. Um, but then of course they became more creative and started writing and being original in their, in their work. As soon as it started being well paid, they recognized, you know, directors and once you had sound, it introduced a whole other level to it. As soon as money came in, it was completely, there were virtually no women writing. And even today, it's one of the lowest representations of women in the, in screenwriting, in film. Oh my goodness. We've been talking about Colin Kaepernick and um, him taking a knee for a long time. And I know this isn't an NFL podcast, but um, it's a really great example of um, someone demonstrating uh, a, well, starting a movement. Um, and But there was a setback this week, Lucy. Well, yeah, this week the NFL has agreed on a new measure to ban players from taking a knee during the anthem. Um, in terms of what their punishment will be, there will be fines or they were initially talking about having on-field you know, a, a punishment that would actually affect potentially the scores. Um, but people fought back against that. And now it will be individual fines or some other punishment given to players or teams. There's 
an option for players to stay in the locker room if um, while the anthem's being played. But what they're, they're trying to do is basically take away a, a player's right to protest. And there's some, there'll be challenges, I would imagine, because in terms of legality, the Players Association hasn't been consulted. But also in terms of um, labour laws, I think you'll find that um, the Supreme Court might have something to say about it. Um, what I think is interesting is that it just keeps raising this question about we don't want to see politics in sport. And ironically, what we are seeing, though, is sport in politics because Donald Trump continues to make comments and send out tweets saying hashtag winning when he you know, talks about this kind of change. There's a really interesting article that um, we'll link to on our websites, but um, it's in Politico and it's by Ben Strauss. And he talks about how, you know, he believes that Kaepernick will ultimately end up being an icon of social justice. He'll be, he's on the right side of history, but he raises some really interesting um, points about the hypocrisy of saying that um, sport and politics don't mix. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not, it's not the only form of hypocrisy that I think um, we can detect in, in this story because, you know, I think, you know, on the one hand, what the NFL claims to be doing is to have concerns about the flag and about the rights of the American military and respect for um, those who serve in the military. Um, so all about rights and respect and so on on the one hand, but they're giving short short shrift or no shrift really, as you say, Lucy, to the rights of their own athletes, including their right to free speech, um, which is protected by the First Amendment in the United States. And, and you know, there are legal debates about whether or not that extends to the workplace. But um, but the NFL, I think, is really, you know, has created a really big problem here for itself. And if we think back to the earlier discussion on CTE, you know, the, the NFL has been obfuscating and muddying the waters and burying important data. It's facing a series of lawsuits from players, former players or families of former players who've passed away that they say they'll vigorously defend. And so on the one hand, you know, they seem to be trampling all over the rights of their own athletes, right to health, the right to free speech, the right to information about health, while claiming to be a rights-focused organisation. And I think it's outrageous and, and that, you know, it's a huge problem for that for that sport. I think what's really interesting, though, is that the NBA already has this policy um, and there are rules around how to perform during the anthem and they've had it for more than a decade. They re reissued uh, a warning about that in 2017. So, you know, this is a big issue that obviously is right across the board. Um, in the NFL, I think the Players Association has actually pushed back and said that we will fight this uh, on behalf of the players. And also I saw that um, the some of the owners, you know, of the teams have said that they'll pick up the... They'll pay the fines. Pay the fines. Yeah. And so, which is also really interesting because it's all about where the money comes from, I expect. But the one thing I did want to... Um, just talk about quickly is that, you know, there's this real push about the military in American sporting culture. And if you've ever been to an American um, sporting game, like we've been to some basketball and the NFL, and I think it happens in hockey, it happens in all of them, all the big ones, um, and probably all the little ones too. Um, there is this real push with the military and, and there's often a procession and you pay tribute to people who have served for the, served the country. And um, that was um, originally, that was the president of America's um, bugbear that he was saying it's disrespectful to these military people who were present at the time of these games. But um, it is my belief that, um, that the military have actually purchased that time on the ground before these games because it's actually a sponsorship drive. It's, it's to try and um, get people to 
um, recruit, sign up. Sign it's up. a recruitment mm-hmm. drive. So they pay for those spots. So they're not there out of patriotism. They're there to advertise mm. and to try and recruit people, which I think sets a completely different tone um, and something we should be aware of. But um, it's really easy for us to sit here and talk about Kaepernick like this. I see it as being exactly equal to what happened with Adam Goods and the silencing. Mm. And when I think back to the fact that he did his um, the spear dance that he did on the ground and I remember Eddie at the time saying, oh, well, I don't think we like to see that. Yeah, the huck is cool though, apparently. Let us never forget. Mm. It is Sir Doug Nichols round this weekend. Felicity, who was the man? <laughs> well, it is. It, and the culmination is obviously the Dreamtime matches this weekend. And um, Dreamtime started, the Dreamtime at the G matches um, started back in 2005. And by um, the AFL sort of realised pretty quickly that it was an opportunity for some significance. And in 2016, they renamed it in honour of Sir Doug Nichols. Now, I'm not sure about you, but sometimes I just accept these things and move on and I, I never actually stop and go back and say, well, who was this person? So I thought today I would just take a minute to talk about who um, Sir Doug Nichols was. Um he was born in 1906 on the Kamara Aboriginal Mission in New South Wales. Um, he grew up in a time when he watched his sister forcibly removed, and he himself was moved on at the age of 14 when they said it's you know enough, you need to go out and find work. Over the, the next sort of period, he eventually made his way to Melbourne, and he played VFA football for Northcote. Um, he was the first and only Aboriginal man at the time playing in that league. The Sporting Globe reported in 1929 that he flashes through packs of big men whisks around small men and attempts to mark at the back of any six-footer. Doug was 158 centimetres tall, um, so that's <laughs> 10 centimetres shorter than Caleb Daniel. He completed five seasons, being named Best and Ferris twice and appearing in three association grand finals. In 1932, he joined Fitzroy in the Victorian Football League um, and at the time Fitzroy also agreed to employ him as their groundsman. Um, He played 54 games for Fitzroy over six seasons and represented Victoria twice. By 1945, he was an ordained pastor at a chapel in Gore Street in Fitzroy, where he provided significant pastoral and practical care to the local community of Indigenous and non-Indigenous locals. At the same time as doing this, he was both the coach and the curator at the Northcote Football Ground. His work ultimately developed into a long career as an advocate for Aboriginal rights and he founded both local and federal bodies to progress this work into policy and law. He was always known and referred to as a calm voice striving for reconciliation. He received multiple acknowledgements, including an MBE and an OBE, before in 1972 he became the first Aboriginal person to receive a knighthood. The honours just kept on coming when a year later he was crowned King of Moomba. (laughs) Uh, But then a slightly more significant role when in December of 1976, he was appointed the Governor of South Australia. His grandson Gary wrote, what grandfather said is to get a tune out of the piano, you can play the black notes and you can play the white notes, but to get harmony, you've got to play both. So Sir Doug Nichols was a trailblazer as a footballer. He loved the game, but he spoke openly of the racism and the loneliness of his status back in the, you know, at the time. The courage to be the first is extraordinary and he passed away in 1988 so you can only wonder what he'd think of the game now where this year the AFL says 10% of men and 5% of women playing in the AFL and the AFLW identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Wow. 
Thank you for that. Mm. That's Fantastic. beautiful. I'm a bit teary. That yeah. was a beautiful quote. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, it gorgeous. is. It is. There's actually a, a, a movement at the moment because it's um, Reconciliation Week uh, to look at uh, making history not history. I'm uh, making history not a mystery. And there's some amazing stories on Twitter out there, stories that we just haven't heard before about Indigenous people and our heritage. Nicole, you um, wanted to talk about how to be a good um, ally I'm not, I'm not going to go into a, a lot of detail here because it's just such a good piece that I highly recommend you read it. It's on the NITV website by Summer May Finlay. Finlay. And it was in response to she went to a, a, the Ed Sheeran concert and he was photographed with the um, Indigenous flag on his shirt and also um, referenced or acknowledged the Indigenous owners of the land where he was performing. And um, Summer May Finlay is a yorta yorta woman and what she wanted to, to – point out is that, you know, it'll take her a whole lifetime to understand what it means to fully to be an Aboriginal woman. And so she doesn't expect non-Indigenous people to, to you know, catch up either. But that there, she has some uh, a breakdown of recommendations for how to be a good ally. Um, and so one of them is to preference Indigenous voices, which seems really obvious, but is too often not the case. Another was to, not, to be okay with not always being part of the conversation, that sometimes we just need to sit down and shut up, frankly. Um, to to be there for the easy and the hard times and not just to pick out the stuff that's easy to recognise, to also be part of, you know, the protests and the ch- and the challenges um, and working with Indigenous people to, you know, to, to um, initiate change. She also um, encourages you to us to say something when we hear an inappropriate comment about Indigenous or um, to anyone of colour and also not to take it personally when Indigenous people don't agree with us. So uh, she, she talks about not assuming you know everything about Indigenous culture and also understanding that Aboriginal people are not all the same. But I do encourage you to get out and read that piece. It, she breaks it down and gives really clear examples about how best to do that. And, of course, and for her, she acknowledges that that's just one opinion, but the, it really is a useful um, reference point. So get out there. Summer May Finlay, and it's on the NITV website. That's a great resource. Um, one of the things that we'll see is the Dreamtime game, and um, that is one way. I, you know, I've said this before, football continues to be the vehicle for me to talk to my children about all sorts of um, social things that happen in, um, in this country and around the world. Um, but I would encourage that if the Dreamtime game is the start of the conversation or make it part of the conversation. Don't make football the only part of the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like I think it's great that we do it, but there's just so much more out there to discover. Mm. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the jumpers. Gavin Wanganine has um, been has curated the artwork on the ball that will be used at the Dreamtime game. It's absolutely beautiful. We posted that on our socials. Um, There's some young girls from Warrawa Aboriginal College. The students there have designed the jerseys that the umpires will be wearing, which is amazing. Mm. They're beautiful. They're green and they hark back to um, the land that they're from. Lucy, you've got some more jumper Yes, and I think we we tweeted out a link on our Twitter account last night and we'll probably retweet that again. So there you can find the story behind every jumper and I highly recommend going and reading them. They're really lovely. I'm sorry, I'm biased. I like the Hawthorne one. (laughs) And um, it's Cyril Rioli's auntie, Jennifer Coombs, designed it 
and it's pretty pretty special for the people of the Tiwi Islands. This is going to be controversial, but my favourite one is the Richmond oh, one. Really? It's so beautiful, and I did catch up with Robert Young, who is the artist who um, painted the artwork that is on the jumper for the Tigers, um, the front and the back. He also has a tattoo of the same artwork on his arm, so he's really committed <laughs> to his designs. Um, I caught up with him a couple of weeks ago, but he's um, part of our chat. I think I had to look at the representation of what the round meant, but also what it meant to me as a young Indigenous man and the, the meaning behind the Dreamtime round and how powerful that is in mm. football, but also what it means to Aboriginal people to be celebrated on such an amazing stage. And so I thought of, well, the word for Richmond this year is relentless. And I was like, well, what is something relentless and how do I create an artwork that rep- represents a relentless spirit? So this is actually a design that I actually got tattooed on myself um, about two years ago, but it's two spears reflecting each other, representing the body and the mind, and what holds it together is, is its spirit, and that is the strength in which we find everything in which we do. Anything that we create is that opportunity of seeing each other's spirit, and that is how you rise up against different obstacles and overcome things. It's an extraordinary um, platform for your art, a footy jumper. Is it anything that you had you been sitting there thinking, please, I hope they ask me one day. I hope I get this. Or have you done it before? No. Um, so I do some work with um, Clarky in the Jim Institute doing um, art workshops and stuff with the young people. And Clarky said, oh, do you want to design the jumper this year? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and then there's also uh, an opportunity to design some stuff with it, one of their major sponsors, Puma. And so he thought of me and what I stand for and represent, but also representing traditional markings that come from down here in south, uh, the southeast of Australia. There's that identity of strength and resilience, but also on the back there's the shield representing your protection and that idea of how do you work together as one you can always go on the attack but also what are you protecting what are you defending for a lot of people the Dreamtime game is their first way to connect with the indigenous history that we all have in this Mm. country how does it make you feel when you see or think about people wearing your jumper buying the jumper that has your design on it and that for a lot of kids and for a lot of Richmond supporters this might be the first time they really reach out to become to take on their Indigenous history and culture? Oh, it is powerful. Um, it was so funny because I got a message from my cousin and he was like, Rob, is this you? It's like, yeah, I did. It's like, Ross, that's deadly. <laughs> and like, because I had to keep it on the down low. But the opportunity and the responsiveness, not just of the Richmond family, but the wider and broader community, mm. as looking at this as an opportunity to not just celebrate our people, but also that opportunity to create an opportunity that chance to talk and yeah. open discussion. Enjoy Sir Doug Nichols' round. I hope that your team is in the eight, and if they're not, you get to have the week off. No, that's not <laughs> true. That's not a real law. It should be, though. Um, so thank you so much. We've been talking a lot about our socials. We are trying to amp it up because we've been. you guys are getting in contact with us, and we absolutely love speaking to you. So you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can even email us, and we got the most beautiful email this week from Alex, who I think had been listening to the podcast for a long time and thinking, I really need to email the Outer Sanctum, but all of a sudden just the courage came and we got the most beautiful email and we were so grateful um, for that, Alex. Thanks for sharing your wisdom on what coaching is like out there um, at grassroots level as well as a whole lot of other things. Um, Stay in touch, have a great week and get better, Alicia. Go 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 Go
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.